five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the WDMA. And we're going <laughs> to, we're recording one today, and uh, that's okay. And we're going to start off with Will Levis and the breaking news from a couple of weeks ago on his new lifetime agreement with Hellman's Mayonnaise. And here he goes. Levis putting mayo in his coffee is getting him paid. The Titans quarterback who is deathly afraid of milk and eats bananas with the peel also puts mayo in his coffee. Did his disgusting food habits cause him to slide in the draft and lose millions? Probably not, but his disgusting food habits did earn him unlimited mayo. Hellman's gave him a lifetime supply of mayo, complete with a press conference and everything. I mean, it, it just means the world to me, honestly. So in the end, I guess Will's a winner, because I think we can all agree that we take loads of mayonnaise over millions of dollars, right? Okay, and as usual, we have the backstory, right? There we go. Let's see what the story is. Uh... Let's see. Heim Hellman's gives NFL quarterback Will Levis lifetime Mayo contract. Uh, Chris Stimes says, who's head of condiments or something at Unilever, <laughs> says, we decided, obviously, given his, ta given his talent, his celebrity love and his love for the condiment, Hellman's uh, and Hellman's that this would be fantastic partnership, an opportunity for Hellman's to reach newer and younger consumers. Hellman's already shows up in about half the households. You don't, even I, I think even I use Hellman's here at the office. And I don't, uh, nope. No, it's the food club. <laughs> I won't show you, because, uh, you know, Mayonnaise is basically uh, egg whites and vegetable oil and uh, vinegar or something, emulsifier. Uh, so anyway, uh, we do hope to inspire people to think of using mayonnaise as more than just a condiment. But, you know, maybe they're trying to drive use in coffee. I watched several videos because I do exhaustive research for this show, as you all know. And... Uh, what I found was that, oops, now I can't get my WDMA to show up. There it is. Nope, too big. Okay, what I found was that uh, it looks really disgusting. Putting mayonnaise in, you have to, you know, it's basically clumped up. It's emulsified, so it's in suspension. The oil is in suspension. And uh, I think lemon juice can do it, too. So it doesn't break down. It's lumpy, and it just looks awful. And I drink my coffee black also anyway, as you know. Okay, so they haven't done a commercial with him yet. Um, they did a commercial on the Super Bowl, Make Taste, Not Waste, about recycling food by plastering it with mayonnaise. We don't know how this will work out, but mm -mm -mm -mm. I thought I would go over to the rationality paradox. Okay, how to simplify marketing in complicated times by Martin Clarkson at the drum. And uh, he's, he recalls a simpler time when he was in New Zealand and there were only three kinds of cereal available. One was Weetabix. And then he got to the United States and there were whole rows of breakfast cereal 
which is probably true. He says, in in New Zealand, there was cornflakes, cocoa pops, and wheat bix, or Weetabix, depends on where you get it. Um, and it was just overwhelming. And so he says, the, we have this burden of choice where it's hard to make decisions. And I know that's the case with mayonnaise. I brought an alternative brand. Okay. Food Club spans all brands, including breakfast cereal and coffee. I have my Food Club coffee. Um, I have Food Club. Never mind. Okay. This experience will be familiar to both consumers and businesses looking to make decisions. Life has recently, and I wouldn't say recently, I think Future Shock by Alvin Toffler was written in 1967 or something. I read it. And it said that things would get more and more and more complicated because there'll be more and more options, more and more choices. And choices are hard. In 2003, you could buy a Subaru Forester in only two ways. But in 2019, there were 19 meaningful ways with optional accessories making the variations almost uncountable. Okay, do I really need an in-cab safe? And, you know, if you're going to use it as a as an Uber vehicle or something, I'm not Uber, but if you were going to be a cab, use it as a cab, you might, if you took cash. Okay, so as a decision maker, the human being is not a perfect machine. We process information to make decisions at a rate of about three or four bits per second which is about 3,000 times slower than the internet when it was on dial-up. <laughs> okay, but we're really, we're really good at processing information. And that's why, in spite of the fact that there might be a dozen computers right behind you and a fan blowing on you, you can still hear me, right? Because your ear knows that Voices are more important, are a priority to listen for, much more than constantly droning fans in the background. Okay? So our brains give us shortcuts. They rule data out. Okay? And we have two systems of decision making. We have the logical, mathematical, and we have the intuitive, experimental. And the experimental, intuitive, and emotional is fast. You don't think about it. You just react, right? You see the snake and you jump, something like that. Okay. Um, and this was made popular by Daniel Kahneman's uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, which I read. George Mosier recommended it. I got it on Audible when I was driving out to Colorado Springs, which is a long drive from here. And a uh, wonderful book. Really liked it. But... Uh, as our world gets more complicated, we are increasingly looking to our emotional experiential system to move us forward. And we use that. That really carries the weight of our decision making. And it doesn't like thinking. Okay. That's the point of this article. Okay. So um, automotive companies are moving on this and evolving their marketing heritage to increasing the focus on experiences that thrill. I watched a great movie a couple of weeks ago, three, four weeks ago, went to the actual movie theater. And uh, I don't remember the name of the movie, but it was about, it was about Nissan taking, taking drivers off of uh, a video game, a racing game that was very, very 
uh, it wasn't just a game. It was a simulation. It was a racing simulation. And they took the best of them in the world and and taught them how to drive real cars. And um, apparently it was it was a multi-year program, and it was um, it was designed to get their customers experiencing the thrill of driving and driving at speed. Um, what customers want is a feeling of moving forward with joy. Okay, and that's why we've always said, if you read uh, Claude Hopkins' work that was based on the direct mailers of the time 100 years ago, uh, we always say, if heart goes against head, heart wins. Make an emotional appeal. Make an emotional appeal, fear of missing out. Fear, that's fear, right? Exclusivity. Um, and there's a lot of others, but fear of loss is probably the strongest one there is. <laughs> okay. Almost half of consumers, 46%, say that brand experiences make them feel more positive about a brand or product service. And 91% say that participating in a brand's events and experiences makes them more inclined to purchase. Now, I don't know what those are. You know, is that the beer tasting at the grocery store, which I don't think they even do anymore because, you know, they're serving alcohol. You have to have a liquor license or something. I'm not sure. Um, used to be able to do it, you know, but you could have mustard or mayonnaise experiences or bratwurst. You know, I do occasionally have a piece of sausage at the Piggly Wiggly. Um, so I'm not sure what these experiential experiences are, but I can tell you that you can build campaigns with real experiences that produce outside results with mail. The tactile properties of mail have a, uh, have a bigger impact on your brain. This is a new piece. Um, Endpoint sent me this. It's a, you can do a nine or you can do a, a six by eleven, and you can cut off a half inch and make it make it tactile. This has got it's got little digouts in it to emphasize a, a like a starburst. Um, on our Zoom the other day, which was really, really great, well attended, and we had a lot of fun, I asked Mike Gunderson about this. Did he use these things? And he said they were just testing one that had a coupon, or not a coupon, but like a cutout of a, of a, like a credit card or, you know, something, something that you could save, pop it out, it was perforated. And he said that they had, they had seen it pull uh, better than control, slightly better than control. And he said his client was very happy with it. So there you go. There's some, some background data. Um, and so you want to be, according to this article, you want to be creators of connection. And as I said, your brain has 10 times the neural receptors for touch as it does for sight. So it's a way to break through the clutter. Um, this article, this is from a new, this is a new guy that, oops, I didn't, don't have his name down. We'll tag him in the, in the examples. But this is an article based on a few uh, marketing studies that said, don't use science to sell emotional products. Isn't that interesting? So your copy itself can have effects. And uh, he said, scientific rationales feel misplaced in an emotional context. So if you've got an emotional you know, make you feel warm and fuzzy type product. You don't want to put too much science into it. Uh, and a split test that he mentioned 
was across 10 studies, customers were less likely to buy emotional products with scientific rationales. Isn't that interesting? So if you have a, an emotional product, you certainly don't want to put too much, too much fact feature copy around it. And so an A-B split that he mentioned was our rigorous scientific development process ensures that Zoza cookies taste delicious, indulgent, and gooey. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> it's confusing. The control was we ensure that Zoza cookies taste delicious, indulgent, and gooey. So all they added was rigorous scientific development process. Okay. And participants preferred the control cookies. I don't know the details. The details of the test, though, are up in here. This guy does give footnotes. Why does it work? Well, emotional products are driven by feelings. They should be easy to process. Again, consistent with that thinking fast and slow. Easy to make a decision about it. Naturally, customers prefer emotional products. Uh, with near fluent stimuli like round prices. Interesting. A $24.37 pillow just feels wrong. Interesting. And again, there's a study that proves that. Same with scientific reasons. These blurbs feel misplaced in emotional contexts. And then he and then he gives an example. Dual core structure for pillows. Brooklinen should probably remove the dual core structure blurb from their pillow description. Now this is Greeking here, so I don't think this is a real ad, but who knows. Um, other examples, adding AI features, be cautious. Everyone is jumping on the AI bandwagon, but is it necessary? Maybe not. Fancy tech might pollute your emotional branding. Interesting, gives more facts, more facts get in the way, now it slows down your brain. You resist that kind of thing with almost all of your might, and your brain does. Okay, explain why science is necessary. In studies, and I always love in studies, a brief disclaimer minimizes backlash. Scientists were also immune to this backlash effect. Interesting. Okay, so here's the footnotes from this. This number feels right. The impact of roundedness of price numbers on product evaluations. When does invoking science in marketing consumer products backfire? Okay, so I'm going to investigate that site. It was very difficult to get this article out of it, so I may not use it as much as I'd like. Okay, and finally, um, from, I believe this is from the drum, male effectiveness reaches highest point in a year. Again, hard to get the article pried out. JCI Mail is the joint industry currency for ad mail, and they released their quarter two 2023 results. And what this showed was that there was an uh, upswing since the end of COVID, that was the end of COVID, where mail drove traffic effectively. This blue one is, is the ability to drive, to, uh, drive traffic to stores, uh, definitely on the upswing, right? And this one was the ability to, to make it make people visit a website, which, you know, people are preferring stores as, you know, the risk of traveling outdoors goes down. This was, you know, there's really interesting stuff in these studies. The average lifespan in the home was 8.5 days for business mail, 7.1 days for direct mail, 6.7 for uh, 
PAM, which is partially addressed mail, which is sort of like bulk mail, you know, where uh, you just say recipient, or or um, if you did every door direct in the United States, that would be that sort of thing. And the average direct mail was looked at for 22 seconds across 28 days, door drops 55 seconds, business mail 159 seconds, and PAM 68 seconds. So if you're trying to create experience to reinforce your brand, you know, that's way better than the ignoring the side panel on the website that we are all guilty of. Um, it's a best way to break through. So Mail Channel is proving its ability to drive store footfall. And more retailers might take advantage of that, the article said. Uh, the, the studies built on 1,000 households each month with a diary-based app where they, we, they, they know what all the pieces of mail that come to your household, and then you're asked to evaluate how many times you've looked at them and for how long did you keep them around. Interesting. That's done over in the UK, I assume, with Royal Mail. Have a great day. Like and share. Your friends will know you're smart.